Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast today. We have Bob Kraft um, visiting us. It's so great to have Bob on today. He's going to be talking a little bit about some of the rumors that have been going um, on regarding the EB-5 program, specifically um, in regards to the Politico article that ran a few weeks ago um, that also relates to COVID-19. So nice to have you here today with us. Well, thanks. It's great to be here, Jessica. And so you're out in Oconomowoc working from your home office, right? And uh, I'm in our headquarter office in Milwaukee, uh, trying to be responsive to clients that have questions and keep things going. So I appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're all doing this remotely and, and finding new ways to stay connected to each other. So we're so glad that we're able to do this podcast today. It's different, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, I, I can't wait till we can get back to work uh, nationally <laughs> and internationally. Uh, I know. Back to full, full blast. So I think, hopefully soon. I think we're all feeling that way. <laughs> Absolutely. So, it's crazy. So, Bob, regarding the political article that ran a few weeks ago, um, I, I know so many people... Are, some people tend to believe the rumors, aren't sure what to think. Can you tell us maybe is there any truth to that? And what is IIUSA's position on the changes stated in that article? Well, it uh, was dead on arrival, I guess. And, and with respect to was there any truth to the idea being floated, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was discussed not by IIUSA. IIUSA wasn't involved. We were kind of caught off guard. But as soon as uh, a staffer of one of the uh, senior uh, uh, senators uh, in the uh, government uh, floated the idea, it was uh, uh, shut down right away. It was it was really surprising to us. Now we are in agreement that more visas are required and needed. So that part of it, uh, uh, we're very supportive of. Although they had a very aggressive number, which. Uh, realistically would never, ever see the light of day. And our IIUSA's position has been first to address the derivative interpretation, which would effectively increase the visas available by three times. So that would be a great step toward reducing the backlog in the countries that are retrogressed and also something that uh, is consistent with Congress's original intent that uh, it was 10,000 investor units, not 10,000 visas. So family members were never intended uh, to uh, be counted. And that's really put a, a, a damper on the program and, of course, led to the huge retrogression because of the popularity of the program. Reducing the minimum investment number from 900 to 450 mm-hmm. just as a non-starter, that's less than what we had before. Right. And uh, we, we were in a support. Uh, there had to be an, agre- uh, an adjustment to the number. It uh, had not been adjusted since 92. And if you just figured in inflation from those years, uh, 900,000 was a reasonable number and brings it into line with other country investment uh, immigration programs. So I guess just to finish that thought, uh, IIUSA was not involved in it. Uh, we did not support it. We would not support right. it. Uh, however, we are working uh, diligently with Congress uh, on derivative relief. Uh, we don't see the need, and, and we don't think it's even possible to change the investment amount that was done 
uh, and we actually support most of what's in the regulations. Uh, we're in agreement with a number of the uh, Senate leaders and uh, House leaders that uh, integrity reforms need to be incorporated into the regulations, and we're looking for a long-term authorization mm -hmm. uh, of three years. And uh, we're hopeful that as part of the economic stimulus discussions, which we're involved in, uh, that EB-5 will be an important part of the um, initiative to get the country back to work again. Similar to what happened in 2008, uh, provided capital that wouldn't have come if not for EB-5 and then got us kind of go getting out of that uh, financial collapse back in the 2008 period. And we see the same possibility here, and we're hard at work trying to convince right. uh, members of Congress to include that you know, as part of uh, an, another phase in the efforts that uh, are being discussed to spur the economy. You mentioned the industry um, and what IIUSA is currently doing, um, but what, what can others do in the industry to help support IIUSA's efforts? Well, that's a really good question. And, and we, we actually had a, a podcast uh, yesterday for our leadership group, which is going to be distributed to the entire membership of IIUSA, and then will be made available on the IIUSA.org website. And uh, the speaker uh, has expertise in lobbying Congress and laid out what local um, uh, people interested in EB-5, whether they be regional centers, uh, economic development groups, developers, construction companies, et cetera, attorneys, uh, how they can approach their local representatives and senators to uh, effectively uh, lobby for uh, an improvement in the program, especially in this time of need. So we're, we're asking all members uh, to continue to build their relationship with their local representative's office uh, and, and put out a national push uh, to sell the benefits of EB-5 and what it really can do at no cost to the American taxpayer to spur economic growth and development, to preserve jobs, to bring people back to work and, and get everybody employed once Great. again. And what do, I guess, you see as a future for EB-5? And is there a place for EB-5 in a future COVID-19 relief package? Well, I mean, it, it, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what it'll look like exactly, um, we don't know yet. But, I mean, we're recommending, number one, derivative relief. So, as I said earlier, that would increase the number of visas available by two-thirds. And that simple change, which is just interpreting the original law correctly, uh, over the years, uh, for some reason, uh, they began counting family members. Mm -hmm. That was not the intent of the law when it was established in 1990. And then 92, the regional center program was a pilot program to make it a little bit easier to qualify uh, from a job creation standpoint. Senator Kennedy was the author of the bill, uh, and his intent was 10,000 investor units. And then over the years, the program wasn't used uh, to its full extent until probably the mid-late uh, 2000s. And nobody had noticed that during the early years of the program that the USCIS was counting family members against the cap. That was not the original intent. So we're asking for just a, a, a simple interpretation change to 
which would have a big impact on the program in a positive way. And we think that's a logical, fair request, especially given the impact, uh, positive impact that EB-5 can have on the economy to get us uh, out of the ditch. Uh, we're looking for some things that Senator Grassley, Senator Leahy looked for, which were integrity reforms to protect the investors and to bring a little more uh, discipline to the program, which protects really everybody. You know, our objective has always been to do it right, be conservative, and make sure that the investors receive what they want, uh, that's gain access to the United States, and then have their capital return. And uh, we're one of the few regional centers that's been able to do that. And we're also uh, in, in an elite group in terms of there are only 8% of the regional centers that are operating today that have more than 10 years' experience. 8%. It's a small number. Uh, and then you put on top of that uh, the regional centers that have returned capital, uh, gone through 526829 uh, uh, in, in, a, in a very strong way. 829, we've been 100%. Uh, so we're, we're in a very special class. So uh, anything we can do to protect and bring more discipline to the industry is good for the investor, ultimately. And the economic benefit to the country, especially now, and it's been significant over the last many years, and it got us out, helped get us out of the 2008 financial crisis when banks were lending. Uh, we became a very important source of capital to get projects initiated and moving, and we created a lot of jobs. Uh, the new program that we're looking for with derivative relief would, would generate 586,000 jobs over a couple year period of time and bring in almost $100 billion uh, in total capital to the United States. Mm -hmm. A big chunk of that being EB-5, but the other is bank financing, uh, construction loans, et cetera, that would be possible because of the EB-5 piece, which won't be possible for a while because of the way we've contracted. So I think that what will happen to answer your question on COVID-19, you know, because of the many stimulus packages that are being considered right now, the first one was signed. That was a $2 trillion infusion into the U.S. economy. That was great. That's a start. And then there are going to be some add-on packages that may address infrastructure, uh, may address uh, urban distressed areas and rural. And we're perfectly positioned and capable of assisting the government in getting the economy going. So exactly what package it might be, uh, we're not sure, but we are in dialogue uh, daily uh, right. uh, with Congress. Um, and I know you talked uh, a little bit about um, positive impact um, and a future for the EB-5 program, and you may have touched on this briefly too, but um, you know, if there are any members of Congress or staffers currently listening to this podcast, what would you tell them about what the EB-5 program can do for the U.S. to aid in economic recovery post-COVID-19? Well, I mean, one of the big things right now is just job retention. And uh, uh, part of the EB-5 program, one aspect of it, there's a, a, a category that allows EB-5 money to be placed into businesses that are troubled. But the definition in the regulations is a little tight and it's a little confusing uh, so we're recommending uh, uh, an adjustment in language it's one simple sentence which will make it easier and clearer for regional centers to bring money into businesses 
that are troubled right now, and, and most businesses are, to reestablish their job count and also uh, be approved for EB-5 status. So that would be a big help. And again, there's no cost to the, uh, to the government. It actually makes money for the government. And most importantly, and more importantly, is that it would preserve a lot of the jobs that have been lost, allow companies to bring people back. We think that's a very important ask and one that all representatives of government should be very receptive, you know, the House, the Senate, uh, and the White House. Uh, there have been discussions with the White House with respect to the benefits of EB-5 potentially as a no-cost, uh, very precise, strategic driver in certain areas of the economy that are very critical to getting us back, uh, uh, you know, in, in good shape. So, uh, uh, and then secondly, we can tr create new jobs, you know, based on projects that won't be built uh, unless EB-5 is allowed to really freely and aggressively participate, mm -hmm. which that gets back to the derivative interpretation. So we're not asking at this point for more visas. Now, it would be wonderful if we could uh, uh, have 35,000 visas uh, that would really open things up significantly. That would totally wipe out the um, uh, the backlog, the retrogression issues from a couple countries, open those markets back up again, because there's a very strong interest in the United States. And I think especially after this worldwide pandemic, that people are starting to think a little differently about right. um, going to other countries. Uh, you know, passport then becomes a significant asset in terms of having the ability to move to countries mm -hmm. that they perhaps feel are safer, uh, maybe have uh, more consistent uh, ideals um, uh, with how you treat people, uh, more freedom, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are a lot of reasons people are interested in the United States. So along with that, migration comes not only investment in EB-5, but these folks buy homes, they pay for schools, uh, et cetera, et cetera, buy cars, so it'd be a real plus to the economy. In an ideal world, we'd say, you know, if you really want to get uh, the economy juiced, then let's open up and provide more visas. Let's make it a little bit easier to qualify for the program, uh, improve the processing that the government is currently uh, behind on uh, in terms of the USCIS organization, which we're also spending time providing uh, uh, feedback to them uh, regarding how 526s are, are lagging, 829 approvals, et cetera. So if they could be a little more efficient uh, and open it up a little bit while making sure that the integrity reforms that are smart are implemented to protect everybody, it could be a very, very strong part of the economic recovery and the government actually makes money on it, not only in the processing, but then the taxes that are generated uh, from the EB-5 investor uh, also adds, and the projects that are mm -hmm. built uh, add significantly to the U.S. economy. So it's uh, to me, there are no negatives with the program. And uh, it just, uh, you know, for some reason, immigration in this country is a very toxic subject, which it shouldn't be. Uh, my family originally uh, migrated, uh, immigrated from Ireland and Germany. Um, right. I mean, most Americans, the families, if you trace them back, 
they came from somewhere else. And that's one of the things that makes the country great because we've all great all these great uh, cultures and different perspectives and beliefs. And, and it's all melded together and you end up with a very, very strong country and a very uh, uh, great country and a very benevolent country. Uh, but we were made up of immigrants. So why uh, it's, it's so toxic, I just don't understand it. Right, right. You know, and you mentioned First Pathway Partners. And, um, you know, I happened to see an article that had recently gone out regarding um, how people can actually benefit from holding additional types of residency and citizenship um, during, you know, a pandemic such as COVID-19 and how that can pro- help provide security um, during uncertain times such as right now. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about like what First Pathway Partners is able to do and able to offer um, different types of visa programs? Uh, yes, we, we actually are involved in a couple different programs. Uh, the Granada Investment Program uh, is a really good one for people from countries that are retrogressed and or don't have a treaty with the United States. So they can make an investment in uh, Granada uh, or in Turkey in projects that qualify. Uh, the cost is very reasonable. And then that uh, citizenship granted by those countries allows them to invest in the United States under the E2 category, which is a much faster category in terms of access to the United States. So it's a very interesting program. And one of the things that's appealing, there are two things that are very appealing about it. The E2 visa is not subject, the holder is not subject to worldwide tax. And that's always been a big issue uh, with people that are looking uh, at the U.S. EB-5 program. Uh, which can be mitigated with good tax planning advice, uh, and we recommend that they talk to a tax attorney. And based on the country they're coming from, uh, we have uh, people that have expertise dealing with those countries and also how to set up the proper um, uh, mechanisms to mitigate tax obligations in the United States. So it's not as onerous as people think in terms of the tax hit, but uh, under E2, uh, there is no worldwide tax uh, uh, requirement. So that's very uh, popular with a lot of people that might have substantial holdings in other countries and really don't want to get tied into that whole thing. It's also faster because the E2 applications are processed in the local country's consulate office rather than USCIS in the United States the consular offices, and they're not all the same in terms of efficiency, but they're much faster than USCIS. And we've built really good relationships with the consular offices around the world. In, in many cases, someone can uh, uh, be qualified for it within a nine-month period of time, and that's on the outside. Some go much faster than that. So the due diligence is still very important, and that, that's very similar to EB-5. So lawful funds, uh, make sure there's no criminal backgrounds, that type of thing, and the government checks that very closely, and and we assist in that. But um, uh, in terms of the processing itself, uh, those offices aren't as overwhelmed as USCIS Mm -hmm. is. So they're very efficient, they're fast, and it's a a great way to go. Then once you're in the country, you can apply for EB-5 if you're looking for permanent residence. The visa is good for five years. It can be renewed uh, easily, but it doesn't uh, 
provide the same benefits as a green card does. It's not a green card program. So it's a, it's a workaround or it's an option for people. Uh, we have really good partners we're working with that are very knowledgeable in the, that area and also in Granada in uh, Turkey. And uh, I visited actually uh, a project in Granada we're working with and met the prime minister and cabinet members, and uh, they have a very good solid program there. And it's a, uh, it's a great way to uh, move into the United States quickly. And they're processing times very fast. So um, I, 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 we're, we're very pleased with it, and we're excited about the results we've seen already. Great. Appreciate your thoughts on that. And, um, you know, as we come to an end here today, um, I just want to thank you again, Bob, for your time and addressing the rumors um, and, you know, talking a little bit about the COVID relief, um, COVID-19 relief. Um, package and IIUSA status on that. And did you have any final thoughts for our listeners today? Yes, there was one other. There was an article that was written uh, by an organization uh, out of the West Coast that criticized IIUSA for being opposed to uh, what came out in the political article. And and that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We did not, we were not involved uh, in the discussions on 35,000 visas. We knew that it was a non-starter, but we are not opposed to more visas, and we've been working hard at changing the derivative interpretation so that those don't count against it. Uh, We think that's the best way to go, and it it simply is not true that we're opposed to more visas, and that was someone trying to get a little bit of press or, or whatever, and, and, and that got out in some circles, but we, we didn't even acknowledge or respond to it publicly because it was just a ridiculous statement, and uh, we've uh, done a good job, I believe, of communicating with all our members worldwide, keeping them informed, providing good education, uh, providing updates on what's happening with the law. Uh, we encourage people to join the association. Uh, we have a, a first-year package that's reduced rate. We've had great success since January uh, of building the membership. We're very aggressively uh, talking to chambers of commerce and economic development groups around the country to build the membership, and we've been successful in doing that. And our worldwide membership group has grown as well. So there's a lot of interest in uh, EB-5 and in IIUSA, and uh, I'm real proud to be involved with it. Uh, it does a great organization. It does a great job as an organization on the advocacy standpoint in education. So if you're interested in information, you're not a member, I'd encourage people to go to iiusa.org and look at the packages available and the benefits of being a member. Great. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you again for your time today and um, for your thoughts um, and providing us with some additional insight. If you would like to know more about First Pathway Partners and how they can help you with a direct EB-5 investment, or if you're looking for other visa opportunities such as an E-2 visa, please contact them directly online at www.firstpathway.com.